Chapter 4, Part 1 of How to Write Short Stories with Examples by Ring Lardner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Kurt from Tucson, Arizona. Chapter 4, The Golden Honeymoon, Part 1. Mother says that when I start talking, I never know when to stop. But I tell her the only time I get a chance is when she ain't around, so I have to make the most of it. I guess the fact is neither one of us would be welcome in a Quaker meeting. But as I tell Mother, what did God give us tongues for if he didn't want we should use them? Only she says he didn't give them to us to say the same thing over and over again like I do and repeat myself. But I say, Well, mother, I say, when people is like you and I have been married 50 years, do you expect everything I say will be something you ain't heard me say before? But it may be new to others as they ain't nobody else lived with me as long as you have. So she says, You can't bet they ain't, as they couldn't nobody else stand you that long. Well, I tell her, you look pretty healthy. Maybe I do, she will say, but I looked even healthier before I married you. You can't get ahead of mother. Yes, sir, we was married just 50 years ago, the 17th day of last December, and my daughter and son-in-law was over from Trenton to help us celebrate the golden wedding. My son-in-law is John H. Kramer, the real estate man. He made $12,000 one year and is pretty well thought of around Trenton. A good, steady, hard worker. The Rotarians was after him a long time to join, but he kept telling them his home was his club. But Edie finally made him join. That's my daughter. Well, anyway, they come over to help us celebrate the golden wedding, and it was pretty crimpy weather, and the furnace don't seem to heat up no more like it used to, and Mother made the remark that she hoped this winter wouldn't be as cold as the last, referring to the winter previous. So Edie said if she was us, and nothing to keep us home, she certainly wouldn't spend no more winters up here, and why didn't we just shut off the water and close up the house and go down to Tampa, Florida? You know, we was there four winters ago and stayed five weeks, but it cost us over $350 for a hotel bill alone. So Mother said we wasn't going no place to be robbed. So my son-in-law spoke up and said that Tampa wasn't the only place in the South. And besides, we didn't have to stop at no high-price hotel, but could rent us a couple rooms and board out somewheres. And he had heard that St. Petersburg, Florida was the spot, and if we said the word, he would write down there and make inquiries. Well, to make a long story short, we decided to do it, and Edie said it would be our golden honeymoon, and for a present, my son-in-law paid the difference between a section and a compartment, so as we could have a compartment and have more private to see. In a compartment, you have an upper and a lower berth, just like the regular sleeper. But it is a shut-in room by itself and got a wash bowl. The car we went in was all compartments and no regular berths at all. 
It was all compartments. We went to Trenton the night before and stayed at my daughter and son-in-law, and we left Trenton the next afternoon at 3.23 p.m. This was the 12th day of January. Mother sat facing the front of the train as it makes her giddy to ride backwards. I sat facing her, which does not affect me. We reached North Philadelphia at 4.03 p.m. and we reached West Philadelphia at 4.14, but did not go into Broad Street. We reached Baltimore at 6.30 and Washington, D.C. at 7.25. Our train laid over in Washington two hours till another train come along to pick us up and I got out and strolled up the platform and into Union Station. When I come back, our car had been switched onto another track, but I remember the name of it, the LaBelle, as I once had visited my aunt out in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, where there was a lake of that name, so I had no difficulty in getting located. But Mother had nearly fretted herself sick for fear I would be left. Well, I said, I would have followed you on the next train. You could have, said Mother, and she pointed out that she had the money. Well, I said, we are in Washington, and I could have borrowed from the United States Treasury. I would have pretended I was an Englishman. Mother caught the point and laughed heartily. Our train pulled out of Washington at 9.40 p.m., and Mother and I turned in early, I taking the upper. During the night, we passed through the green fields of old Virginia, though it was too dark to tell if they was green or what color. When we got up in the morning, we was at Fayetteville, North Carolina. We had breakfast in the dining car, and after breakfast, I got in conversation with the man in the next compartment to ours. He was from Lebanon, New Hampshire, and a man about 80 years of age. His wife was with him and two unmarried daughters, and I made the remark that I should think the four of them would be crowded in one compartment. But he said they had made the trip every winter for 15 years and knowed how to keep out of each other's way. He said they was bound for Tarpon Springs. We reached Charleston, South Carolina at 12.50 p.m. and arrived at Savannah, Georgia at 4.20. We reached Jacksonville, Florida at 8.45 p.m. and had an hour and a quarter to lay over there, but Mother made a fuss about me getting off the train, so we had the darky make up our berths and retired before we left Jacksonville. I didn't sleep good as the train done a lot of hemming and hawing and mother never sleeps good on a train as she says she is always worrying that I will fall out. She says she would rather have the upper herself as then she would not have to worry about me. But I tell her I can't take the risk of having it get out that I allowed my wife to sleep in an upper berth. It would make talk. We was up in the morning in time to see our friends from New Hampshire get off at Tarpon Springs, which we reached at 6.53 a.m. Several of our fellow passengers got off at Clearwater and some at Bel Air, where the train backs right up to the door of the Mammoth Hotel. Bel Air is the winter headquarters for the Gulf dudes, and everybody that got off there had their bag of sticks, as many as 10 and 12 in a bag, women and all. When I was a young man, we called it shinny and only needed one club to play with and about one game of it would have been a plenty for some of these dudes the way we played it.
The train pulled into St. Petersburg at 8.20, and when we got off the train, you would think there was a riot, what with all the darkies barking for the different hotels. I said, Mother, I said, it is a good thing we have got a place picked out to go to and don't have to choose a hotel, as it would be hard to choose amongst them if every one of them is the best. She laughed. We found a jitney, and I gave him the address of the room my son-in-law had got for us, and soon we was there and introduced ourselves to the lady who owns the house, a young widow about 48 years of age. She showed us our room, which was light and airy, with a comfortable bed and bureau and washstand. It was $12 a week, but the location was good, only three blocks from Williams Park. St. Pete is what folks call the town though they also call it the Sunshine City, as they claim there's no other place in the country where there's fewer days when old soul don't smile down on Mother Earth. And one of the newspapers gives away all their copies free every day when the sun don't shine. They claim to have only given them away some 60-odd times in the last 11 years. Another nickname they have got for the town is the Poor Man's Palm Beach. But I guess they's men that comes there that could borrow as much from the bank as some of the Willie boys over to the other Palm Beach. During our stay, we paid a visit to the Lewis Tent City, which is the headquarters for the tin can tourists. But maybe you ain't heard about them. Well, they are an organization that takes their vacation trips by auto and carries everything with them. That is, they bring along their tents to sleep in and cook in, and they don't patronize no hotels or cafeterias. But they have got to be bona fide auto campers that they can't belong to the organization. They tell me there's over 200,000 members to it, and they call themselves the Tin Canners on account of most of their food being put up in tin cans. One couple we seen in the tent city was a couple from Brady, Texas named Mr. and Mrs. Pence, which the old man is over 80 years of age, and they had come in their auto all the way from home, a distance of 1,641 miles. They took five weeks for the trip, Mr. Pence driving the entire distance. The tin canners hails from every state in the Union, and in the summertime they visit places like New England and the Great Lakes region. But in the winter, the most of them comes to Florida and scatters all over the state. While we was down there, there was a national convention of them at Gainesville, Florida, and they elected a Fredonia, New York man as their president. His title is Royal Tin Can Opener of the World. They have got a song wrote up which everybody has got to learn it before they are a member. The Tin Can Forever! Hurrah, boys, hurrah! Up with the tin can, down with the foe. We will rally round the campfire, we'll rally once again, shouting, We auto camp forever. That is something like it. And the members has also got to have a tin can fastened onto the front of their machine. I asked Mother how she would like to travel around that way, and she said, Fine, but not with an old rattle brain like you driving. Well, I said, I am eight years younger than this Mr. Pence who drove here from Texas. Yes, she said, but he is old enough to not be skittish. You can't get ahead of mother. 
Well, one of the first things we done in St. Petersburg was to go to the Chamber of Commerce and register our names and where we was from as there's great rivalry amongst the different states in regards to the number of their citizens visiting in town. And of course, our little state don't stand much of a show. But still, every little bit helps, as the fella says. All in all, the man told us they was 11,000 names registered, Ohio leading with some 1,500-odd, and New York State next with 1,200. Then comes Michigan, Pennsylvania, and so on down, with one man each from Cuba and Nevada. The first night we was there, they was a meeting of the New York, New Jersey Society of the Congregational Church, and a man from Ogdensburg, New York State, made the talk. His subject was rainbow chasing. He's a Rotarian and a very convicting speaker, though I forget his name. Our first business, of course, was to find a place to eat, and after trying several places, we run on to a cafeteria on Central Avenue that suited us up and down. We eat pretty near all our meals there, and it averaged about $2 per day for the two of us. But the food was well cooked, and everything nice and clean. A man don't mind paying the price if things is clean and well cooked. On the third day of February, which is Mother's birthday, we spread ourselves and eat supper at the Poinsettia Hotel, and they charged us 75 cents for a sirloin steak that wasn't hardly big enough for one. I said to Mother, well, I said, I guess it's a good thing every day ain't your birthday, or we would be in the poorhouse. No, says Mother, because if every day was my birthday, I would be old enough by this time to have been in my grave long ago. You can't get ahead of Mother. In the hotel, they had a card room where there was several men and ladies playing 500 in this newfangled whist bridge. We also seen a place where they was dancing. So I asked Mother would she like to trip the light fantastic toe, and she said no. She was too old to squirm like you have got to do nowadays. We watched some of the young folks at it a while till Mother got disgusted and said we would have to see a good movie to take the taste out of our mouth. Mother is a great movie heroine, and we go twice a week here at home. But I want to tell you about the park. The second day we was there, we visited the park, which is a good deal like the one in Tampa, only bigger. And there's more fun goes on here every day than you could shake a stick at. In the middle, there's a big bandstand and chairs for the folks to sit and listen to the concerts, which they give you music for all tastes, from Dixie up to classical pieces like Hearts and Flowers. Then all around, there's places marked off for different sports and games, chess and checkers and dominoes for folks that enjoys those kind of games, and rope and horseshoes for the nimbler ones. I used to pitch a pretty fair shoe myself, but ain't done much of it in the last 20 years. Well, anyway, we bought a membership ticket in the club, which cost $1 for the season, and they tell me that up to a couple years ago it was 50 cents, but they had to raise it to keep out the riffraff. Well, Mother and I put in a great day watching the pitchers, and she wanted I should get in the game. But I told her I was all out of practice and make a fool of myself. Though I seen several men pitching who I guess I could take their measure without no practice. 
However, they was some good pitchers, too, and one boy from Akron, Ohio, who could certainly throw a pretty shoe. They told me it looked like he would win the championship of the United States in the February tournament. We come away a few days before they held that, and I never did hear if he win. I forget his name, but he was a clean-cut young fella, and he has got a brother in Cleveland that's a Rotarian. Well, we just stood around and watched the different games for two or three days, and finally I sat down in a checker game with a man named Weaver from Danville, Illinois. He was a pretty fair checker player, but he wasn't no match for me, and I hope that don't sound like bragging. But I always could hold my own on a checkerboard, and the folks around here will tell you the same thing. I played with this weaver pretty near all morning for two or three mornings, and he beat me one game and the only other time it looked like he had the chance the noon whistle blowed and we had to quit and go to dinner. While I was playing checkers, Mother would sit and listen to the band as she loves music, classical, or no matter what kind. But anyway, she was sitting there one day, and between selections, the woman next to her opened up a conversation. She was a woman about Mother's own age, 70 or 71, and finally she asked Mother's name. And Mother told her her name and where she was from, and Mother asked the same question. And who do you think the woman was? Well, sir, it was the wife of Frank M. Hartzell, the man who was engaged to mother till I stepped in and cut him out 52 years ago. Yes, sir. You can imagine mother's surprise. And Mrs. Hartzell was surprised, too, when mother told her she had once been friends with her husband. The mother didn't say how close friends they had been, or that mother and I was the cause of Hartzell going out west. But that's what we was. Hartzell left his town a month after the engagement was broke off and ain't never been back since. He had went out to Michigan and become a veterinary, and that is where he had settled down in Hillsdale, Michigan, and finally married his wife. Well, Mother screwed up her courage to ask if Frank was still living, and Mrs. Hartzell took her over to where they was pitching horseshoes, and there was old Frank waiting his turn. And he knowed Mother as soon as he seen her, though it was over 50 years. He said he knowed her by her eyes. Why, it's Lucy Frost, he says, and he throwed down his shoes and quit the game. Then they came over and hunted me up, and I will confess I wouldn't have knowed him. Him and I is the same age to the month, but he seems to show it more some way. He is balder for one thing, and his beard is all white where mine has still got a streak of brown in it. The very first thing I said to him, I said, Well, Frank, that beard of yours makes me feel like I was back north. It looks like a regular blizzard. Well, he said, I guess yarn would be just as white if you had it dry cleaned. But Mother wouldn't stand that. Is that so, she said to Frank. Well, Charlie ain't had no tobacco in his mouth for over ten years. And I ain't. Well, I excused myself from the checker game, and it was pretty close to noon, so we decided to all have dinner together, and they was nothing for it, only we must try their cafeteria on 3rd Avenue. It was a little more expensive than ours, and not near as good, I thought. I and Mother had about the same dinner we had been having every day, and our bill was $1.10. 
Frank's check was for $1.20 for he and his wife. The same meal wouldn't have cost them more than a dollar at our place. After dinner, we made them come up to our house, and we all sat in the parlor, which the young woman had given us the use of to entertain company. We'd begun talking over old times, and Mother said she was a scared Mrs. Hartzell would find it tiresome listening to we three talk over old times. But as it turned out, there wasn't much chance for nobody else to talk. With Mrs. Hartzell in the company, I have heard lots of women that could go it, but Hartzell's wife takes the cake of all the women I ever seen. She told us the family history of everybody in the state of Michigan and bragged for half an hour about her son, who she said is in the drug business in Grand Rapids and a Rotarian. When I and Hartzell could get a word in edgeways, we joked one another back and forth, and I chafed him about being a horse doctor. Well, Frank, I said, you look pretty prosperous, so I suppose there's been plenty of glanders around Hillsdale. Well, he said, I've managed to make more than a fair living, but I've worked pretty hard. Yes, I said, and I suppose you get called out all hours of the night to attend births and so on. Mother made me shut up. Well, I thought they wouldn't never go home, and I and Mother was in misery trying to keep awake, as the both of us generally always takes a nap after dinner. Finally, they went, after we had made an engagement to meet them in the park the next morning, and Mrs. Hartzell also invited us to come to their place the next night and play 500. But she had forgot that there was a meeting of the Michigan Society that evening, so it was not till two evenings later that we had our first cart game. End of chapter four, part one.